0: understand the passage. Has anyone got any questions? Good, then we might as well just go straight to communion, mightn't we? It's a funny thing, isn't it? Um, No questions, everyone understands everything they heard. Seriously. They're all been okay? Weird readings. Thank you, Steph. So what's... So this is a serious point. Now, I have to tell you, uh, in case you think I'm cheating, there is a sermon here ready to go. But I thought it might be more beneficial to start where you are. What didn't you get? Were you even following? I know it's difficult. It's quite a long reading. It's on page um, 311 in the Bibles. Are there any questions at all? Maybe you could talk to your neighbour and see if you've got any questions. Go with go, excellent. Right. What does it mean when it says the house of your film left be
1: forever? Because what's happened to the house of David? Is there a larger
0: fulfillment? Yes. Now, that was one of the questions I asked myself reading this passage. And one of the questions um, I actually want to answer, and I think we need to take a bit further back um, is there a, what's happened to the house of David? Has it been fulfilled? How has it been fulfilled? And let's see if there's any other questions first, and then I'll come back to that, because it is one of the key questions in this passage. Anyone else? Because our aim is to study Scripture, isn't it? And to learn from it. Now, I'm not going to push this for very long, but I, I just... Oh please uh, be mischievous. Uh, uh, verse twenty four, establish your people Israel as your very own, forever. how do we stand there in two thousand seventeen? How do you think we stand? What's your answer? Um uh, I think the church is
1: then I
0: think we without that new court into God for Israel, that's a naive. Ah, I'm not sure it's naive. A- anyone like to disagree with that? No one wants to disagree with that. You couldn't hear. Speak louder. Uh, in verse 24, it says that you have
1: established your people Israel as your very own brethren.
0: On to the Israel question. Correct. We are. This passage opens up the Israel question. It opens up the House of David question. Um, so far, I'm not surprised. By the way, I was told that you had a preacher here not so long ago who preached for 40 minutes. Is that right? <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Yeah, just point at the clock, everyone. Um, so, um, if there are more questions that come up, wave a hand or shout out, because I honestly, especially with a smaller congregation, I think it's really important that I and we together try and answer the questions that you have and not the questions that you don't have. However important I might think those questions are, it's more important to answer your questions. I asked Andy, when uh, he asked me to do this um, tonight, for that first song by Chris Tomlin, Forever.
2: Well,
0: there you go. And I've had the same thought. So there we are. Excellent. (laughs) It must be God or something. (laughs) Forever. If you look through that passage, that's coming back to both of your questions, but starting at that one point. Forever occurs a lot in this passage, a lot. Um, I, I actually uh, run off a copy of the, of the passage and underlined the word forever because it just seems to be coming up so much. I'm going to shoot the ice cream van soon, but never mind. Yes, good old Sue in the ice cream van there. Forever is a very, very long time. Forever goes beyond our lifetime, however long we make it. Forever goes beyond recorded history. Forever goes beyond geological history. Forever goes beyond the Big Bang. Forever, and this is a big statement which we could ask questions about, is only possible in God. Forever is only possible for God. None of us can imagine forever. We can't describe it, and we certainly can't plan for it. However good your new vicar is, it ain't forever. Forever we can only accept Forever of necessity is of God. I made it six times the word forever in that passage. Uh, I may have missed one, but it doesn't matter in one sense. It's a lot. And if you look at the verses preceding it, and this is one reason I asked you, only one of the reasons I asked you to look at your Bible, you'll see it's there more. Now, this is a passage rooted in historical reality. This is about the King David, the prophet Nathan, who's, I'll come on to in a minute. It's about Jerusalem, it's about Israel, and so on. It's about a certain time, and yet it is about forever. The forever of God enters into the ordinary history of a certain kingdom, a certain place, a certain man, and so on. So, it's about the creator of the universe. It's about God. This is essential when we come to the scriptures, but in this passage in particular. God's forever is entering this historical moment in the scriptures. Now, I think at this point we need to get back to the story. And if you look at the beginning of chapter 7, if you've got it there open, you'll see that the story is, begins with the prophet Nathan coming to the king David and telling him that he agrees that it's a good idea to build a house, a temple. We'll come back to the word house in a minute. A temple in Jerusalem where you can put the Ark of the Covenant and all the other things that have come with the tent through the desert when the Israelites escaped from Egypt. And then, verse 5, the Lord comes to Nathan and tells him, no, you've got it wrong, actually. (laughs) Terribly sorry. He doesn't say terribly sorry. He says, sort yourself out and listen to me. Um, Tell David the exact opposite of what you've advised him. So Nathan here is acting as a political advisor but he's also a prophet. And by the by, that shows something about Christian ministry, how important it is to listen to the Lord and say, excuse me, I got it wrong. I think God's actually telling me the exact opposite of what I just told you, and I'm prepared to admit to that. Um, And he says no, not to build the house. He gives God's word. It's when David is dead, his son will build his house and God will establish his kingdom and the house of David. And in this, both the temple and the kingdom with David's throne will be established forever. And then it goes on in verse 8 in this marvellous prayer that David prays of worship and thanksgiving to God. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign God, he asks. How great you are. And then in the praise, he gives us another forever. That God has redeemed a people for himself, Israel, forever. And all this is so that God's name will be great forever. Because he keeps his promises forever. And he goes on to ask as a prayer that the promise is fulfilled regarding his house. Now, at this point, the word house is enigmatic. It could mean the family, the line of David, or it could mean a building, the temple of God. And as we've seen, it certainly started as meaning the temple, but has run on to mean the family as well. And so David's prayer, I think, again, like all our prayers should be, are rooted in the promises of God that are forever. Now, this is preamble to answer your two questions in just a moment. How do those promises, these particular promises now, apply to us today, here, in this church, in Preston, or indeed anywhere? And this is a bit of theology I think we need to take seriously in everything to do with the Old Testament. Look to Jesus. Look to Christ and how he fulfills or is part of the promises. Because we know that the main forever promise of God is his salvation in Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Everything else leads up to that. And that is the event that, if you like, identifies us. Now, I don't know how, if you are counting or looking, but the forevers there were about God's name, God's people Israel, God's uh, David's throne and his kingdom, and in that sense, his house, and God's temple, in that sense, David's house. And those two questions are two of those. Forevers, if you like. And as we track through Old Testament history, we find, after this event now, God's people, Israel, are scattered. They're rebellious. They're judged. They're punished. David's throne is overthrown. The kingdom splits into two. And then the invaders come and conquer both kingdoms. Um. It's an absolute disaster and it looks as though all God's promises are going up in smoke. David's family thereby are deprived and the temple that is built by his son Solomon is destroyed and actually it's rebuilt again and then destroyed again. And yet if you look through the prophets, always they are hanging on to these promises they are there in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel in different ways. Looking back, but also looking forward. So, let me come back to Jesus, because I think that's the thrust maybe of your question in particular. Let's start with the throne and kingdom and family of David. So, I now need some volunteers, because you're not going to get off that lightly. I've spoken for too long already. Can someone read to me Matthew 1, 20 to 2, verse 6? And since I'm going to ask this about five or six times, you might as well volunteer now and get it over with. So Matthew 1, 20 to 2, verse 6. Anyone? Nice and loud. See so if everyone can hear. 1 one, verse 20 yes. to chapter 2 verse 6. It's a Christmas reading.
2: But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who had been born, king of the Jews? We saw his star when he rose and had come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who
0: will shepherd my people Israel. Thank you. Now that is a very familiar Christmas reading. You can see that Matthew is drawing on the prophets, and he's saying, for those with ears to hear that the house and throne and kingdom of David is forever. And you read through the rest of the Gospels, it's all about kingdom, 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 kingdom. Jesus is the one who is fulfilling that forever promise. He is the king. It is a messianic promise that we have in David from Nathan. It is ultimately about Jesus. He is the ultimate descendant of David who is forever, who is eternal, who is God with us. Now, I can unpack that further and I'm sure you can as well. There's more to be said, so I'm going to move on unless there's any questions. Is that It's just so clear from the Gospels? To Samuel, messianic promise, Jesus fulfills it. Because Jesus fulfills that one, Maybe that's a hint for the others. So let's look at the next one, about Jesus fulfilling about the house, as it were, temple of David, that first temple. So for that, one of my favourite passages in the New Testament, John 2, 13 to 22. John 2, 13 to 22. Don't worry. Some of these verses will get shorter later, but this was a bit longer. It's a very important passage to understand for you on to understand about what Jesus was doing. Go on, then, Liz. Nice and loud. Glasses first, yes. John 2, 13 to 22. Now, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover,
1: Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple.
0: Thank you. Now, some of that's very clear and some not quite as clear. Let me start with the slightly obscure. Jesus goes into the temple, turns over the money, changes tables, clears out the animals, says, you've made my father's house a marketplace, or whatever you want to translate it. And then, my body is the temple. The first part of that we have to understand is an acted parable. Half an hour later they'd have been back, stalls set up, money in place, animals regathered, doves probably a bit longer because they'd have flown away, but nonetheless in principle they been... Now what's the significance of getting rid of the animals? <coughs> the sacrifice is gone. The point of the temple is a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins, to cut a long story short, and without animals, you lose access to God because you're not fulfilling his law. Jesus is saying, this is the end of the temple as you know it. And then they're saying, his body Is the temple. Why? Because that is the place of God. Emmanuel, God with us. God is now with us, not in bricks and mortar, but in a person, Jesus. God dwells supremely above all else in Christ. He is part of the Trinity. And therefore, the temple is forever and is fulfilled. Now, there are some Christians sadly, in my view, who say that Jesus will not return until the temple is built on Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It is blasphemy, I'm sorry to say. Misguided, they're often very genuine and lovely Christians, but Jesus is the temple, he has fulfilled it. And if a temple is built on Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which will cause horrendous political problems, it is not a fulfillment of prophecy, but a blasphemy. That's strong, I'm saying it. Watch out for the signs of the times. Jesus is the fulfilment of the forever promise of the temple, which leads us to God's people, Israel. Now, I think as time's going on, I'm going to run through this more quickly and not ask you to read all the passages, but if you want to note them down, please do. They'll be familiar to you, I hope. I want to go back to the original covenant. It's very important One key passage in the Gospels is John 15. This is the passage where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And that is the bit I want to concentrate on. Now, the vine is the image, the symbol of Israel. Over the temple, there was a carving of the vine. Psalm 80, you hear the vine is Israel. Read it sometime, Psalm 80. And so in saying this, Jesus is saying, astonishingly and really radically, I am Israel. Now, usually when you hear a sermon about, I am the vine, you are the branches, we hear quite rightly about the need for us to be in Jesus and the need for us to bear fruit. And these are very, very important and good themes. But at this point, what would have hit the disciples hardest is him saying, I am the vine. He also appoints 12 apostles and says that they will judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this also is radical. He also says in different places, for example, some of you are going to be cut off. When he's talking about the scribes and the Pharisees, you are a whitewashed sepulcher. Incredibly insulting. What is Jesus doing at this point? What he is doing is what prophets do in the Old Testament, except this is the ultimate example. He is reforming Israel. He is taking a remnant of Israel, Jewish, mark you. This is not what you might have heard is called replacement theology. A remnant of Israel and forming a new Israel around it. And then allowing. Gentiles like us, I guess most of us, to be joined in as equal members. That is what he's doing because of renegade Israel. He's doing what Elijah did. He's doing what Moses did. Romans 4.13 Abraham's children are those whose righteousness is through faith. This is standard evangelical theology but it matters. Not by birth, but by faith. You must be born again, says Jesus to Nicodemus. If you want the Spirit, and the Spirit is God, don't forget, who inhabits the temple. Luke 3, verse 7 and 8. John the Baptist. God can make these stones, children of Abraham. Do not think you are children of Abraham just through birth. And so it kind of turns full circle. If we look in 1 Corinthians 12, we find we are, well, at least the Corinthians are, let's be accurate, the body of Christ. The temple, if you like. And to make it even more explicit, Paul says, and I know I'm going fast here, but Let it pile on, just think about it a bit. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 16. We are the temple of the living God. Now, at that point, this is a bit, actually I think it's worth reading this. Can someone read 2 Corinthians 6, 16? Because in terms of our passage from Samuel, this is... A really special passage. Paul now drawing out the teaching of Jesus and applying it to these young churches. Anyone? Thanks, Steph. What Thank agreement is there between
2: the temple of God and my Lord? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be
0: their God, and they will be my people. Thank you. I will be their God, they will be my people we are the temple of the living God. That quote, and you see it in the Bible, is marked as a quote, is from Leviticus 26. And it's part of the original covenant of God calling his people Israel to follow him into the promised land, which they will then inhabit. And that quote is also used in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about the restoration of Israel. And Paul the Pharisee, the scholar, takes this and says, It's you, Corinthians. You are the temple. You are the body. You are the people of God, the living God. So I want to end with an application because this has all been theoretical in a way. This has all been trying to pull out what was the forever's in 2 Samuel. And it's this. The church in Corinth was a motley crew. You read about them, read what Paul says about them. We can't always understand everything he said because it was so difficult that it doesn't work anymore for us. We can't get all of it. What we do know is they were doing all kinds of wrong things. And yet, they are the body of Christ, the temple of the living God, the fulfilment of the covenant promises of God forever. Forever. And so are we. Now, this is the really astonishing thing. God has placed all his eggs in one basket and it's called us. (coughs) Frankly, he must be mad as I look out here. It's crazy. Who are we? I know I haven't got the whole church in front of me. I know there's more in the mornings. But nonetheless, who are we to be the vehicle of God, the place where he dwells, the temple itself, the body, the way in which he is displayed? Have I answered your question about Israel, by the way? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yes, there's a global aspect to this. Of course there is. But there is also a local aspect. He was talking to Corinth, Paul. Jesus was talking to his disciples. So, no doubt you've messed up as a church. The church I came from messed up as well. Of course, it did. No doubt there'll be some regrets. But look at Scripture and look at God. Here, right here and now, is the kingdom of David forever. Right here and now, the king is reigning, if you are faithful. Right here and now, I'm looking at God's people, God's temple, a living temple. And right here and now, God's purposes will be worked out through us with forever consequences. It's the most amazing privilege and one of the most scary things once we get our heads around it. You are his forever plan. You are the gathering of his people. Now, we call this church, but church does come in different formats. But don't misunderstand, it's not radio, it's not internet, it's not preachers, however good, it's not church schools, however wonderful, but it is this gathering of his people in a certain place to worship him. The joy is, He's given you a new vicar. Isn't that fun? It's a new start for the church on a long path. What is his vision, particular vision for you? How is he going to work that out? That's going to be really exciting. But never misunderstand you have a huge privilege and a huge duty. Not as individuals now, but as a group. For you are his body, his temple that he planned forever before the Big Bang and that will go through to eternity after he returns.